Good morning, everyone. Really good to be back with you again and to share in the service this morning. It's been a blessing to be here already in the singing and prayers and all that's been going on. And we pray that the Lord will continue to bless us uh, as we uh, study his word. In the passage that I've been given today is in the Acts of the Apostles and it's chapter 9. So I'll begin by just uh, reading these verses to you about the conversion of the Apostle Paul. We're looking at Acts chapter 9, and I'm reading 19 verses, starting at verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder uh, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise up and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas uh, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, by which you came, has sent me to you that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, 
Something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight and he arose and was baptized, taking food he was strengthened. Amen. Uh, a tremendous story, and we know the Lord will graciously bless it to our hearts for his name's sake. If you were to ask me, what is your favorite city? I would have no problem in answering that, because it's Jerusalem. No equivocation, no ifs or buts. Jerusalem is my favorite city. Great place to be, full of history, full of archaeology, uh, wonderful insights into things that we read in the Bible. Jerusalem, however, has its problems. Even this year, Jerusalem has had more than its fair share of terrible riots, barricades burning, the Israeli flag burned, and all the rest of it. And as I say that to you, what do you think is causing these riots? Let me say right from the start, it has absolutely nothing to do with the Palestinians. These riots have nothing to do with the problems between Jews and Palestinians. Nothing at all. These riots are being caused by people who are religious fanatics. You can see some of them here. They throw stones at the police. They get awfully agitated if they don't get their own way. Problems include the fact that like everybody else in the country, they're being asked to join the army. And they don't want to do that because they just want to pray all day. So they don't want to have to put their people into the army. And they don't want to pay taxes like everybody else. And so they riot. They are religious fanatics. And they are called the Haradim, which means the God-fearers. But it doesn't cause them any problems if they believe God is on their side to break the windows of buses, burn barricades, because they believe they're doing it for God. That takes me to our story, because Saul of Tarsus was like that. He was a religious fanatic, and he believed that what he was doing was for God's sake. He was a student of a very famous Pharisee, who actually uh, was uh, also mentioned in the Bible. And uh, Gamaliel was a very moderate person, a very thoughtful, a, a real gentleman in many ways. And he taught his students to care for others. Um, he actually had great concern for Gentiles, and Gamaliel taught people the way of peace. In the Bible, there was one stage where Peter and the others were uh, sentenced to death virtually, and Gamaliel was the one that stood up and said, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, just be careful what you're doing here. Who are these men? Are they doing this out of their own initiative? Because if they are, it won't last. But he says, just be careful. Maybe they're doing it for God's sake. And if God's on their side, you could be found fighting against God. So Saul was brought up with a very tolerant uh, person who loved other people and loved Greek. And Saul knew Greek fluently. 
So even at this stage, God was preparing him for a future where he would minister to people who knew Greek. Isn't it wonderful that even in his bad days, God was preparing him for the future? So he was totally different. And uh, thankfully, as a teacher, you know, most of your students go the way they're taught. But you do occasionally get one or two that don't you know, and, uh, uh, and Gamaliel himself said that it was on one occasion that he had a rather difficult student who was very self-willed. He didn't say who it was, but I just wonder. But anyway, Saul was determined, just as determined as those people who are burning barricades in Jerusalem today, that he was doing this for God's sake. He was on God's side. And, uh, and some people feel that sometimes. I remember um, seeing this in a rather frivolous way when, when I was uh, a Bible college student. We used to go out and uh, from we, the main building was 119 Marlborough Park, but we had a games room just down the road and we were, uh, went down there to play table tennis. And one of the students was very intense in everything he did. And when we were playing table tennis, it was doubles. He was playing with Eilish Agnew on his side and I and Tom Armstrong were on the other side and, and we were winning. Actually, no thanks to me, but we were winning. And uh, David said to Eilish, he said, look, don't you worry about this. God's on our side, you know. And uh, uh, Tom Armstrong left his back down and said, well, then I've no doubt who's on our side. And they, they got into a whole mess about whose side God was on. I don't think God was on bothered about who won the table tennis but people sometimes get very intense that God's always on their side and uh, so did uh, Paul or so at this stage he believed firmly that God was on his side but why then did he persecute the Christians well every morning religious Jews uh, as uh, right away back then they had and to the present day they wear phylacteries like these. Uh, one is on your brow so that God's Word is in little packages inside. And you can see them here. Well, you probably can't. It's too far away. But if you have a look later, you'll see little passages of Scripture tucked away inside here. God's Word is in your mind. And the other one goes here so that God's Word is over your heart. And Jews use this to this very day. And it's a tradition that goes away, way, way back into Old Testament times. And some of the verses that are in here are called the Shema. Shema in Hebrew just means hear. And Shema, O Israel, means hear, O Israel. And those verses are there. And they quote those verses every day in life. Sometimes several times. And what does the Shema say? It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. The Lord your God is one Lord. So there can only be one God. That is the claim. And because um, they wear these and they say there's only one God, Jesus must be an imposter. He could not possibly be God. And therefore, it was going to be uh, his life's work was to tell people that uh, this new movement was blasphemous. There's only one God. So Jesus cannot possibly uh, be God. Uh, also, the 
new people were teaching a new way. This, this imposter that had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How dare he make such a claim? For the Jews, the only way to God was by tradition, the tradition of the law. And uh, why do they all wear the same clothes? Why do they all dance in the same way? Well, it's tradition. Tradition was everything. Why are these people, why are these ladies being arrested in Jerusalem? Because they have broken the tradition. They're being arrested basically because they're wearing prayer shawls and they wore phylacteries and they read aloud from the Torah at the Western Wall. That breaks tradition. It's never been done before. So they are being arrested by the police reading out loud from the Torah. If you're a woman, it's a crime, even to this day. And so tradition was everything. And Jesus was breaking tradition. And there are many Jews today who would feel the same thing. Uh, I used to take trips out to Israel and uh, one of my Jewish guides once was a man called Abraham. Uh, most of the Jewish guides, when you're with them, you know, they let you do this, the, 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 the spiritual bits, all the New Testament things. They leave that all to the person who's taking the group out. But Abraham wasn't like that. He was involved. He sang the hymns. He knew all the scriptures. He talked about Jesus. And so we said to him, you know, how come you're a Jew and you know so much about Jesus? And he said, I believe Jesus was a good man. He says he was a very good teacher. And uh, he said, uh, I believe, however, that uh, he could not be the Messiah and he could not be God. He says, I believe I could be... And this is, I remember his words because they pierced into my mind. Here's what he said. He said, I believe that I could have been a follower of Jesus if his disciples hadn't gone and called him God. But he says he can't be God because there's only one God. And so that was the problem. That was the problem for Saul of Tarsus. And that's the problem for many Jews today. But that was also an important one. Most of all, he could not have risen from the dead. And those were all the problems that made Saul intensely and powerfully interested in destroying the Christians. We're told that he was breathing out slaughter. Uh, John Calvin, years ago, uh, wrote his commentary uh, on Acts 9, and he said that Saul was like a wild beast out of control. And recently, John Stott in his commentary shows how that many of the words that Luke uses were also used of rampaging animals. He was so fully intense, intent on destroying the Christians that he was like a, a, a herd of wild animals charging with no constraint, all because he hated this idea that Jesus could be the Son of God, or that he could have risen from the dead. And then, 
he persecuted the Jews in Jerusalem, and many of them fled to Damascus and to other places. And he went after them like this wild beast, so full, fully intent that God was on his side. And then on the Damascus road, it all changed. Suddenly, one moment in time made the difference to this man's life. A light shone around him as he traveled to Damascus. A light that was so bright that it left him blinded and he fell on the ground. What a shock. It didn't seem to blind anybody else, so it was shining on him. And then he heard a voice. A voice he didn't recognize. He said, who are you, Lord? And then he heard the thing that shocked him beyond belief. I am Jesus. But Jesus is dead. And suddenly the, the truth was there. Jesus was not dead. What he had been opposing was actually true all along. Jesus had risen again from the dead. He was talking to the one he'd been saying could not be God. And this changed his life because now he knew that the Jesus that he had been persecuting was alive. The voice he heard uh, from Jesus said something very interesting. He said, why are you persecuting me? Saul could have said, I'm, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these Christians. I think it's a very nice way, by the way, devotional thought here that uh, shows us that Jesus actually cares about what's happening to each one of us. That even though Saul thought he was persecuting Christians, everything he did to them, Jesus was feeling it up in heaven. Isn't that a, a thought worth taking away with us? That Jesus cares about what his people are going through. Jesus cares about you today. He cares about me. And the reason he can care is because he's alive. And that's what changed everything for this man on the Damascus Road. That's how he made a complete turnaround. Jesus had told the truth. He was the way. He was the life. His way was the only way. What a, a change it made in Paul's life. He suddenly could no longer go and persecute the Christians as he was doing. Now he was halted right in his steps and he goes and realizes that Jesus is alive. He obviously had some arrangements made to, uh, for accommodation in Damascus. And Damascus has had its own problems, terrible problems recently. But the place where he stayed is still there to this day. There's still a straight street uh, in Damascus. I'm sure a lot has changed since the days that Saul went to find his B&B &B there or whatever he had. But that's where he went and straight street still exists. And there he prayed for three days and uh, was blind 
all that time. And now a new man comes into the story called Ananias. Notice how that when God speaks to Saul on the Damascus Road, Saul says, who are you? When God speaks to an Ananias, he says, here I am. There was the difference between a man who had a close relationship with God and a man who was very religious but didn't actually know God. Here I am, says Ananias. He had a living relationship with the living Christ. He knew God in a way that Saul didn't, even though he was so tremendously religious. Uh, He's told that he's to go and meet Saul, and he's told he is praying. Now, isn't that a strange thing for God to say about a religious Jew? You know, they, they pray all the time. When you go on an LL flight, they'll be going around trying to whip up. They need 10 people to have a prayer meeting. And they'll have one on the plane. They pray. They, they, they pray everywhere. They pray in the air. They pray in the ground. They, they pray in the bus. They pray. So why does God say he's praying? Because what the religious people do is they say prayers. But now, God says, for the first time in his life, he's praying. Do you know there's a big difference between saying prayers and praying? There's a big difference between singing hymns and worshipping God. And now, he was no longer just a man reading the prayers from the prayer book or saying what was in the phylacteries. Now, this man is actually talking to God, and that's real praying. Jews say prayers, but it's people who know the Lord, who know a personal relationship in them. You see, what Saul had up till now was a religion. What he got when Jesus spoke to him was a new relationship when he got to know him. And that's, uh, there's a lot of people in the world have got a lot of religion. And when people sometimes say to me, you know, I believe you're religious. I say, well, hang on a minute. What do you mean by I'm religious? I hate a lot of what goes for religion. All these rules and regulations that they have, the burning of buses and things that, that go on, the fact that women are told that they have to sit in the back seat because these religious Jews won't sit beside them and they break the windows of buses if people don't obey them. That's religion. A loving relationship in which Jesus Christ comes and lives in our hearts and makes a difference to our lives, that's not just religion. That's a relationship. That's a relationship with the Christ who rose again from the dead. And that is what made a difference to Saul. And that's what makes a difference to people. Religion changes you on the outside. I should say, by the way, that not all hyper-religious Jews are like that. I should say that because I know some very nice ones, just in case you think I'm saying they're all like that. They're not. There's a rabbi in Belfast at the minute who's a real gentleman and not like that at all. But there are those who feel that their religion gives them the right to dictate how other people live, even to burning buses. But what makes a real difference is not religion. What makes a real difference is that uh, God had met him and gave him not more religion, but a relationship with himself. And he says, he shall carry my name. 
I thought that was very significant. Just uh, think about that for a moment. God says to Ananias, this man who came to persecute, he shall carry my name. Whose name was he carrying to Damascus? Think about it. I don't know if he had pockets or not. I'm not sure, but he had letters with him. Let's say they were in his pocket for a second of argument. He had a name on those letters. It was the name of the high priest in Jerusalem. He had authority. This man had authority. He had come with authority to bind people, make them prisoners who believed in Jesus. And the name of the high priest was in his pocket. And God says he'll not carry that name anymore. He'll carry my name. He'll carry the name of the great high priest who died and rose again from the dead. He would get a new name. He would get a new authority. The old name in his pocket was to bind people and make them prisoners. The new name, the person he met on the Damascus Road, doesn't make people prisoners. He sets them free. He had been given a new name to carry of the Lord who would set people free, who would liberate them, who would make a difference. Because it could all happen, all because Jesus was alive. What a difference it made to Saul to learn that Jesus was alive from the dead. What can make a difference to our lives today? Jesus is alive. There has been a, a lot of fuss uh, about uh, uh, a number of atheists uh, who have been writing books, especially in America. There was a man called Christopher Hitchens who died recently. He wrote a book called God is Not Great, Religion is Poisonous, and all this. But uh, a, a rather liberal uh, minister asked, could she talk to him and interview him? Because she wanted to tell him that she wasn't like these narrow-minded Christians that he was writing about. And this lady called Marilyn Sewell met Christopher Hitchens. And she said to him, you know, you're writing about very narrow-minded Christians. You're writing about people that believe the Bible and believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. I think she was looking for a pat on the back. That the atheist would say, oh, you're the right sort of Christian. But what he said was absolutely amazing and took her feet from under her. This is what he said. I would say that if... Now, this is the atheist. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not really a Christian in any meaningful sense. Her next words were, let us go somewhere else. Meaning, you know, let's move on now. Because the atheist was a better theologian than the liberal minister. If you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah and that he rose again from the dead and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're not really in any meaningful sense a Christian. Good for the atheist. He never spoke a truer word. Probably the only true ones that he spoke that day. And for Saul, that was what made the difference because he said, later on, he said, Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he appeared to 500 people at once, and that was great, but he appeared also to me. He, that is what gave him 
a new enthusiasm. And he went out to carry that name. God loves enthusiastic believers. And Saul became Paul, the enthusiastic minister to carry Christ's name. Recently, um, uh, Haddon Wilson, whom you all know here, has been getting me involved with uh, um, teaching Americans. And I, I learned that uh, uh, when you mention Turkey to them, turkeys, you know, the, not the land, but the gobble gobble ones. When you mention turkeys to them, uh, they don't think of Christmas, uh, they think of Thanksgiving. And there was this program on the radio that uh, talked about um, how that uh, uh, people could ring in and ask questions about how to cook their turkey. And one woman phoned in with a most remarkable request. She said, in the bottom of our freezer, I found a turkey that had been there for 20 years. Would it be okay to eat it? And after a brief pause, the people said, well, well if it had been deep frozen, yeah, you, it wouldn't do you any harm. But why would you want to eat it? It'll be tasteless, but it'll not do you any harm. I said, well, that's, that's all I need to know because I'm giving it to the church. How different from the Apostle Paul who gave everything when he believed that he was fighting Jesus. He, gave, he was the man who also gave everything because he now believed that it was Jesus who had changed his life. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. No other way Paul could, change, could, could speak of the change that had happened to him. He was a new person because he had met with the living Christ. And he had not only got a new relationship with Christ... Think of that man in Ananias. What a hero he was. He approaches the persecutor, still not quite sure what will happen. Was this all leading him into the hands? Was this some sort of a trap that Saul was going to spring and catch him and persecute him? He leaves it all aside and puts his hand on his brow. And with lovely words, he says, Brother Saul. Saul had been brought into a relationship with Jesus and he'd been brought into a relationship with all the other Christians too. So we're brothers and sisters today. We're all different, but we belong to the risen Christ and that's what makes a difference to our lives. He has made a difference. Because he lives, we shall live also. There was a word going around for a while, YOLO. Do you hear that? Yeah, the people say, you know, oh, I got drunk last night, but YOLO, you only live once. What a lie. You don't only live once. You live twice. Someday we'll meet again. Someday we'll meet with the risen Christ because he's alive. If we know him as our Savior, we shall live with him for all eternity in a close relationship with brothers and sisters who have put their faith in him. What a change God made to Saul's life. What a change he can make to the lives of every one of us here. If we just keep that thought in our minds that wherever we go, the living Jesus is here with us. YOLO? No. YOLT? You only live twice. <laughs> Points to ponder. Just uh, Sorry, I've gone over my time a wee bit. Points to ponder, because I, I want to leave us some lasting thoughts here. Are we saying prayers, or are we praying? 
when we're singing hymns, are we really aware of the presence of the living Christ? So that's the first thought. And, and when we pray, are we really aware that Jesus is actually hearing us and listening to us? Carry my name. We are all Christians if we know the Lord Jesus as our Savior. Where will you go this week? Who will you meet? What will you do? You're carrying his name with you. We don't all have to be preachers and teachers to carry the name of God. Just by being that nice, warm person that you are, just by being who you are, you're carrying his name. You will carry it with you home. You'll carry it with you to school. You'll carry it with you to the shop. We are his ambassadors. We're carrying the greatest name of all. The name. That's a tremendous privilege. Old Saul carried the name of the high priest. Then he went out and carried the name of Jesus right across the world. And we here today have heard the gospel because Paul carried the name of Jesus. Other people will see in you, in your life, if we are aware that in every situation the living Christ is with us. People will see that we're carrying his name. And then finally, religion or relationship. I thank God that I'm not really religious. I've got a relationship with God. And that's a different thing. Faith in the living Christ. I believe with all my heart that as it's been great to meet with all of you today, the important thing is that Jesus is here too. The living Christ is with us in our meeting, in our lives, and is here to bless us and to do us good. And whatever problems we face through the week, he says, I'll go with you there too. We carry his name. But the other side is, he says, I will be with you wherever you go, even to the end of the age. We all have gray days, as you said in your prayer. We all have hard times. Just like unbelievers. They have hard times too. And so have we. We don't have any less hard times because we know the Lord. Sometimes we might have more. But the important thing is, we know that he is with us. He says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Amen. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts for his name's sake. Let us pray. Our gracious Lord, we thank you for the amazing fact that Jesus is alive today. We thank you for the difference that he's made in many lives here. And if there's anyone here who knows you not, we pray that today they would enter that relationship and get to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And for each one of us, as we go out, may we be aware of the great privilege it is to carry his name wherever we go. For it's in the name of Christ we ask it. And now may the blessing of the triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with us all this day until Jesus comes or calls and then by his grace throughout the great eternity. And all God's people said, Amen.